uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And if you're using one of the, the hardback Bibles in the chairs or from out front, uh, you can find it on page 961. 1 Corinthians 15. We uh, won't read the entire chapter. We'll read uh, 9 or 10 verses or so. We'll begin in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, It's our practice here to stand when we read God's Word. Uh, So if you are able, uh, we ask that you join us and let's stand together. First Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us now. Use your word, that which you have inspired holy men of old to record, that which you have preserved for us. We pray that you would be at work in it and through it in our own hearts to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't, um, I don't often lose at checkers, but when I do, um, you know how you get to the end of a checkers game, a really vicious checkers match, the kind of the knockdown drag, and, and you're down to like one dude and your opponent has a couple of kings and then... You know, maybe a couple of just regular pieces that are marching towards the end of the board and they're going to get crowned. And you know you're a goner. Uh, I trust you do what I do. I, I find that corner where I can move back and forth and there's nothing they can do about it. And I can keep moving all day long and I can keep annoying them and pestering them and you just slide back and forth and they can't get around you. They can't jump you. They can't get to you. And every now and then they might even mess up and you can kind of sneak out and take one and you have to retreat again, get back to that corner where you can hide and move and stay alive and cause trouble and pester your opponent. But you know you're not really going to win. You know, that's the world you and I live in. We live in that world. 
that's exactly what Satan is doing today. Satan is sort of that last checker piece. He's alive, he's moving, he's doing stuff, and every now and then he causes trouble, but he knows he's not going to win. We could quote um, Martin Luther's hymn, For lo, his doom is sure. How do we know his doom is sure? How do we know that? How can we say with such confidence, yeah, you might be moving back and forth, you might be living, you might be doing stuff, but you're not going to win. This chapter tells us why we say that. This chapter is the proof of that. Because this chapter tells us, first of all, that Christ's resurrection proves His power to redeem. You know, that just this past week, a seminary, seminary, that's, it's seminary, not cemetery. Sometimes people get the two confused. Seminary is where um, people go to train for ministry. Union Seminary in Virginia, just this past week, I mean, the resurrection, I, I mean, it's, it's not really like physical, it's not real, it's like love, and it's spiritual, and it's kind of a representative idea, but I mean, I don't think Jesus really came out of the tomb, I don't think he really had to, it's really okay. That's a seminary just this past week. Follow the logic with me for just a second. If Jesus didn't rise again, if he's still in the... I mean, if he was buried, if he died, if he actually died, he was actually buried, and he hasn't come back out of that tomb. If he didn't come back to life on the third day, then, okay, that means he's still there. He's still in that tomb. And if he's still in that tomb, then he's still dead. And if he's still dead and can't even save himself, why would I trust him to save me? What hope can I possibly have for my salvation in Christ if he can't even save himself? And for that matter, if he's still in the grave, if he's still buried in that tomb, then it must be that he's still dead. And if he died and, and didn't come back to life, then he must have died for his sins and he's a sinner just like me. That's Paul's argument right here in this chapter. In fact, look at verses 17 through 19 of uh, chapter 15. Notice Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus is still dead, let's quit now and go home. That, that's Paul's point. If, if Jesus didn't rise again, if He's still in the grave, if He's still dead, then we are still in our sins. We have no hope of forgiveness. We have no hope of redemption. We have no hope of, of freedom from the power and penalty of sin in our lives. In fact, verse 26, we didn't read this far, but in verse 26, the resurrection of Christ proves that He has authority even over Satan and sin and death. Death is, verse 26 tells us, the last enemy. It's the of all the things that sin can throw at us, of all the 
consequences and effects of sin, of all the things that, that sin can throw at you, death is its last, greatest, most powerful, and quite honestly, most feared weapon. And yet, Jesus says, I've defeated even that. Having come out of the grave, having come out of the tomb on the third day, I've even defeated that. It's, it's almost, I really, I, I hesitate. Sometimes your afraid illustrations are, are a push too far. But humor me for a second. But you can almost picture Muhammad Ali standing in the ring saying, bring it on. Taking a hit and going, yeah, and? That's in essence what death did to Jesus. Jesus defeats that and stood up and said, yeah, and? Like, what have you got left that you could possibly throw at me? If the wages of sin is death, if death is the, the consequence, the result of sin, okay, maybe not a particular sin, but the existence of sin in the world... It may not be the, the consequence of a particular sin, but there is sin, and sin is real, and we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world, and therefore death reigns. And it might be, for many of us, our greatest fear. There, there are a lot of things we can and will endure in this life, but, but death is that thing... David Wilcox is a, um, a folk singer, Asheville, North Carolina, singer-songwriter guy. He's got a song called Vista. And in it, he describes, imagine being sort of the westward expansion people and hitting the Rocky Mountains and going, all right, let's go, and climbing to the top of the Rockies and being the first to get that view of that wide-open vista. And then he has a, a verse about death. Stepping over into that wide open vista, a trip we have to all take ourselves, take alone. And you get that view. And we don't know what that view looks like. None of us has ever known what that view looks like. And that causes fear for us. It makes us nervous. It makes us scared. It makes us uncertain. It makes us cry at funerals, not for their loss, but for ours. It's our pain. It's not their pain. We cry at funerals because we know funerals aren't supposed to exist. We weren't created for funerals. We were created for life. And this passage says, we have hope of forgiveness. We have hope of Forgiveness in Christ because He has defeated all that sin and death can throw at Him. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, and thinking to yourself, oh, wait, hold on. I, I think I'm actually with Union Seminary on this one. Like, the resurrection, like, that doesn't happen. Like, science says that doesn't happen. So, that doesn't happen happen. You're sort of prepared to argue, I just don't know about all that. I didn't even read the first part of the chapter in which Paul basically goes, there are literally 
hundreds of people alive right now, not right now for you and me, right now for Paul, as Paul's writing this letter to Corinth, to the church in Corinth, there are hundreds of people alive who have seen the resurrected Christ. You can go ask them. Either they all had the exact same hallucination at the exact same time, or this is real. The resurrection, Christ's resurrection proves His power to redeem us. He's defeated every weapon that uh, sin can throw at Him by conquering death. We have the hope of salvation by grace through Christ because of His resurrection. But notice also too, Christ's resurrection proves His power to raise. Look at verses 20-23. to Notice verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. Now that word matters. There's no such thing as first if there is no second. If there's no second fruits, He's just the fruits. If there's not going to be more, then Jesus isn't the first fruits. He is the fruits. And yet Paul's saying He's been raised the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words... Somebody else is going to be raised from the dead. Somebody else has the same hope of of bodily resurrection that Jesus has. And there, in these verses, Paul gives us comfort and hope and encouragement of our own bodily resurrection at the last day. Verse 21, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. This is the kind of thing that if you think about it for a few minutes, you're, you're tempted to sort of get angry first. But when you, when you think about the fact that Adam's sin brought all mankind into guilt and judgment... There has to be a part of you that wants to say, Adam, you bum. If I could punch you in the mouth right now, I'd really like to. How dare you plunge all the human race into sin and and death and judgment and, and that we all are born with original sin because of what you did. That's not fair. And at that point you go, but wait, God. That's not fair. I didn't let, I didn't vote for Adam. It's not my idea to let him represent me. What do you, what do you do in letting Adam stand as my representative? That's not fair. And then we, we balk at the whole, the whole idea that, well, I don't want to be a sinner because of what Adam did. That's not fair, God. That, you've got to change the plan. I've never heard anybody complain when Jesus is their representative. Well, hold on. He's righteous and I'm not. I'll take it. Yes, God, look at him. Don't look at me. We, we complain when Adam is our representative. And then we, as soon as we, we can stand up Jesus and go, there's my representative before the Father. We all go, yes, him, not me. And Paul is pointing us to the resurrected Christ as our representative, not just in our redemption, not just in our forgiveness for sin, but even as the first of those 
who will be raised from the dead. You and I, because of faith in Christ, have hope that death does not get the last word. All who are connected to Christ, verse 22-23, will be raised to life. Incidentally, next time you're at the funeral of a believer, next time you're at the funeral of of another Christian, remember, they have the hope of the resurrection. You have the hope of the resurrection. Which means this funeral is not the last time you're going to see them. You're going to be together forever with Christ. You know how some of you have moved recently. Some of you are in the process of moving now. Um, When you move, you've got to go down to the post office and you fill out this change of address form and it communicates to everyone, I don't live at that address anymore. I live at this address. And, and it's, it's, it can be a pain. Um, the, the Puritan Thomas Brooks described death as basically nothing more for the believer, nothing more than a change of address and a change of company. All the believer does is they change their address and they change the company they keep until the company they had here on earth joins them in eternity with Christ. In other words, Paul reminds us, Paul encourages us that death is actually not permanent for us. It's, it's temporary. Yes, our body and soul are, are separated for a time. They're separated until Christ comes back and, and raises our bodies and reunites the two. And, and he goes into an explanation of the body. We're not even reading that part yet. Uh, that'll be later in the creed. But our new and improved body, reunited with our soul to live with Him forever. In other words, the pain we feel at a funeral is ours and not theirs. And what gets us through that pain, what gets us through those tears, is the hope of their resurrection and ours. Christ's resurrection proves uh, His power to redeem, His power to raise. It also proves His power to reign. Look at verses 23-25. to Christ will one day return. He will one day come back. In the meantime, He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Ruling and reigning over all of creation. Until the day when all His enemies are made His footstool. The thing on which He props His feet. Incidentally, the, the Apostles' Creed, uh, Christ raised, rose again from the dead on the third day, ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated, which means His work is done. He's at the right hand, the place of honor and power and glory and authority. He's ruling and reigning over His creation, over His people. And there's coming a day when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and 
power. He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. Christ has proven Himself to be King by defeating death. You're subjects of the King of the universe who gave His life for you. And lastly, Christ's resurrection provides motivation for ministry. I just want to call attention to the very last verse of chapter 15. The church on earth is God's plan for establishing and expanding the kingdom of Christ. The church is God's plan for establishing and expanding the kingdom of Christ on this earth. And it would be easy for you and me to think that's a scary task. That's a daunting task. What are we going to do? It would be easy for us to watch the news and see all the stories about people leaving the church at alarming rates. It would be easy for us to watch the news and see the darkness pouring in and and the church supposedly failing in all sorts of different places. It would be easy for us to watch the news and think, let's just fold up the tent and cower in a corner and call it good. What gives us hope for taking the light of the gospel into a dark world. Well, it's the last verse of chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So you went to church on Sunday and English class broke out. Anytime you see a therefore... You have to ask, what's the therefore there for? What's it connecting to? Well, it's the immediate context is death is dead. Death died when Jesus rose. That's the previous verse. The whole chapter is about the resurrection of Christ. Because Christ has been raised, because Christ has defeated sin and death, you and I are encouraged to be steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because our work is not in vain. How easy it would be for you and me to be fearful, to hide, to cower in a corner, to be convinced that the church is dying, to be convinced that we're losing, to be convinced. You know, that's not true. And because of Christ defeating death, because Christ has killed death itself when He rose again, you and I are encouraged to be about the work of the Lord because our labor is not in vain. Christ has defeated even death itself. And we have our own hope of our resurrection and the resurrection of our loved ones at the last day. And Paul says to you, therefore, in light of the resurrection of Christ, in light of His power even over death itself. Be encouraged. Be abounding in the work of the Lord because your work is not in vain. How often we get caught up at that little checker bouncing back and forth in the corner, causing trouble every now and then, 
annoying, pestering, won't go away, just can't quite get rid of it. And, and, and maybe even every now and then in our eyes, getting a little victory here or there. But lo, His doom is sure. How do you know? Because the tomb is empty. Oh, that we might live in that power. Let's pray together. Our great God and our King, You have defeated sin and death in our place. You have defeated the last enemy. In fact, we can say with with that great Puritan that in the death of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ, death itself actually died. Lord Jesus, would You comfort us with those words? Would You encourage us with that reality? And would You go before us in that power that the light of the Gospel might expand Your kingdom in every corner of the globe. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.